0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the production designer for Free Guy, Ethan Tobman. My name is Guy. Sunday should be warm and sunny. Just a scattering of drive-bys. And I live in paradise. I've got a best friend. This is the greatest cup of coffee of all time. Mondays, am I right, Joe? You said it, Guy. Yeah! And I work at the Bay. I thought I had everything I needed but then I met her.
1: Everybody down on the ground. Everybody except you. Me? It's just the a- oh, Please, I have a fist. There's something inside you, Guy. I don't want something inside me. They expected you to just follow the rules but you are so much more than that. Put these on. Okay, fine, I Oh my God! What
0: are these, trick glasses or something? Guy, there is no easy way to say this. This world, it's a video game. You're not real.
1: Please stop my oh. And the guy responsible for this world was going to destroy it.
0: You've met God? Yes, he's an absolute troll. Trolls exist. Buddy, if we're not real, doesn't that mean that nothing you do matters? I am sitting here with my best friend, trying to help him get through a tough time. Now, if that's not real, I don't know what is. I know this world is just a game, but this place, these people, that's all I have. So I'm not gonna be the good guy. Thanks, guy. I'm gonna be the great guy. Wow! Well, enjoy your lifetime supply of virginity. <laughs> Off you go. This whole good guy routine is ruining the game. <laughs> Woo! Terminator. First time I've ever driven a car before.
1: I really wish you'd mention that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why? That actually hurt my hand. We can save our world, but we have to fight together.
1: Ethan, thank you so much for talking with me about Free Guy today. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into questions about the movie, I feel like production design, art direction is something that not, not everybody really understands. Could you kind of describe your role on, on the movie and tell us a little bit more about what you do and then we'll dive in? Absolutely. Um, i like to describe myself and
2: production design in general as emotional architecture. Uh, As opposed to building something that I invite people to come into or that I impose on someone, I am uh, by definition trying to extract someone's internal emotional journey through the exterior world I design around them. So everything that I do is related to character, to the journey that they are making from A to B, which is the reason that we are telling this story. Um, Specifically for Free Guy, I am. Uh, being given the story of a non-playable character, someone who is purposefully half-developed and is therefore an afterthought, has no meaning, finds himself in a cyclical cog in the machine life um, that in a way we can all relate to, uh, and that's who who suddenly gains the intelligence and insight into rising above that. Not only rising above it, but rising to greatness. Um, Something like being there Chauncey Gardner character, a simpleton who rises to president of the United States being a huge inspiration, both I think to me and I think to Ryan Reynolds, um, created a world of, for example, in his apartment, a half developed uh, interior, which I'd love to talk about you know, a little bit later in detail, um, but also a wish fulfillment game where there are uh, multi-platform open world um, players constructing a city that's both uh, excessive and fun, but also satirical and poking fun at the violence and excess of uh, the real world, the culture of today. Um, Conversely, it's also my job to create a different world, the world outside of the video game, which needs to look and feel totally different and play off the themes of loneliness, alienation, um, lack of wish fulfillment, and in its own way, also being a cog in the machine. Um, so I use things like color palette, material choices, geometry, depth of field, uh, rain or shine, to help tell the internal stories of these characters.
1: Wow, uh, I love I love that. I love the emotional architecture. That's 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 incredible. Well, w- specifically with Free Guy, I was so surprised to see such a visually grounded movie I, I expected to see this movie just dripping with CGI of course there's plenty of visual effects but but I expected the the environments to all be you know visual effects and that's largely because of your work so um, congratulations to you it looks amazing um, where did you where did you start uh, with developing this did you dive into into some video games to get some inspiration like where did you kind of begin the process on free guy
2: sure um, well first I have to give credit to Sean levy for um, truly grounding this film in heart and in empathy. Um, It was always his belief from the very beginning that he wanted to create a love letter to 80s movies that inspired us. And I think Ryan felt this way too, Back to the Future being, you know, a big one. Um, But really like the kinds of movies from our childhood where you didn't really want the movie to end. You wanted to be the character's best friend. You wanted to live in the city or town that they lived in. Um, That being said, Sean's original direction here was to create these two different worlds and to create really specific rules for them. That's always the launching pad for me is, okay, that's the challenge. Now, how do I execute it in a visually interesting way that develops character? Um, so yes, of course, poured myself into video games and you know, I, I am a pretty casual gamer anyway. Any production designer uh, can benefit from the immersive developed worlds of video games. And one of the things I've always said along the way is so many video games are inspired by movies but now more and more movies are inspired by video games. Um, So you have something like Red Dead Redemption or Shadow of the Colossus or Anno uh, or uh, Grand Theft Auto, and you can see them in the filming style and sequences of feature films now. Um, So it's, to me, very much chicken or the egg and the two genres not only inform themselves, they literally employ some of the same people to design them. Um, So that being said, yes, I poured myself into video games, but I also poured myself into photography from the 70s and 80s that captures uh, American cities that are uh, on the verge of bankruptcy and disaster. Um, I looked at movies like Brazil, The Truman Show. um, uh, What's the other one I always reference? I I looked at basically movies where you were stuck in a machine and where there is a degree of tremendous satire. Um, And I looked at self-referential movies, movies that reference other movies, everything from who Framed Roger Rabbit to Deadpool. Um, tonally, I wanted to follow Sean and Ryan's lead to create something that's self-referential, deadpan, sarcastic, but also like deeply heartfelt with tons of Easter eggs uh, that I'm happy to
1: talk about as well. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories.
0: Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, let's let's talk about some of those. I mean, so many of the the props and sets aren't just those things. I mean, they're visual gags and jokes themselves. I I love the, you know, there's the trash can full of identical coffee cups. Uh, (laughs) There's the sign that says, I think, I I hope I took this down right. Your loan is already approved. This store is a scam. Uh, So good. How many of those are like in the script versus you and your team coming up with those things?
2: Well, I, I always like to say when a question gets lobbed my way like this, that this is a team effort. You know, I'm not going to take credit for everything. Um, I'll take the blame for everything. <laughs> um, but I had, and Sean had, an amazing arsenal of um, humorists, video game players, designers. Um, I definitely think one of my fortes is uh, is creating funny taglines and funny suggestions for shops. You know, very early on, I, I, I lobbed the idea of secondhand grenade stores uh, newsstands that say crime up 60%, uh, murder, uh, down 1%, uh, as of 3 PM. Um, I pitched an idea of a travel agency that, uh, illustrates how no one can leave free city that they're stuck or free city because they're stuck. For example, it says, um, flights to nowhere at prices, you can't afford, um, uh, round trip flights where you can't leave the plane. Uh, Sean pushed for uh, a list of destinations of cities that belong in other video games uh, that you can't go to. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's a fast food joint with Happy Meals that have grenades and semi automatic rifles and nunchucks that come with your hamburger and French fries. But that being said, you know, listen, Ryan is like the most genius branding artist around. When he got to our coffee shop, he riffed on let's have flavors of coffee that are hilariously redundant. Like, Hot coffee, very hot coffee, strong coffee, weak coffee, bad coffee, um, the kind of things that, you know, are designed to watch on second and third viewings. Uh, that's really the point of telling a movie like this. If you're, if, if it's from the perspective of a non-playable character who you would miss normally, then let's make a whole movie out of uh, gags that you have to watch repeatedly to catch because they're completely supplemental to the, the main plot. So good.
1: Uh, you, you talked about a guy's apartment, you, you used the term half developed. I was definitely going to ask you about that. How did you walk the line between it? Like you said, half developed, almost generic to an extent, but it's beautiful at the same time. How do you kind of walk that line? This was, I like to say the greatest
2: intellectual joke <laughs> set forth for, for my job description. Um, you know, Sean was sort of like, what the heck are we gonna do here? There's so many different ways we could go. And I think people were pretty nervous about it. And it was, I think it was one of our first sets up, uh, if memory serves. And when Ryan and Sean walked in and we're just like, dude, this is so funny. And so not maybe what immediately comes off the page. The idea I pitched was, and that my decorator, Leslie Rollins, who's brilliant uh, pitched was, okay, if we've got a half developed character, let's." literally have develop his apartment as though he was not given enough gigabytes to complete a three-dimensional backstory. His gigabytes have been economized for the greater good of the streaming of the game. So here are some examples. He has uh, five deadbolts, but no doorknob. He has uh, cereal uh, and no other food in his pantry. He has a bowl and a spoon. He has no forks or knives. He only eats cereal, so why would he need them? Uh, he has uh, a goldfish with no gold food, goldfish food. He has uh, tons of books with no titles on them. They just say one, two, three, and four on their spines. Um, He has a calendar that's missing a day of the week. Um, All of these are, uh, you know, purposefully buried in his apartment as both Easter eggs that, uh, you know, entertain gamers and multiple movie watchings, but also kind of, have an an emotional uh meaning behind them of he doesn't matter he's such an afterthought he just goes about his day gets robbed 12 times uh on the hour at the bank and longs for something more but doesn't really have the 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 verbiage to express it and i just think we can all really relate to that and that's the only way i know how to design and tell stories is by finding something that we can relate to
1: and why why the, the, the blue color palette, all the different blue hues? What did that add to his un- underdeveloped kind of nature?
2: I think Ryan, I'm pretty sure it was Ryan's idea from the very beginning. In fact, I'm positive it was Ryan's idea from the very beginning. He had the idea that he wears the same thing every day and that it is, you know, I, 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 maybe it's the blue collar reference or maybe it's just the idea that you know, blue is the most simple masculine color. I'm not sure what he was thinking as the impetus for that, but it totally worked. Khakis and a blue t-shirt, a blue shirt. And then his joke is when he sets himself free and becomes AI, he changes his blue button down to a blue (laughs) V-neck. Like it's his huge transformative change. It's like, wow, I'm really gonna live life to its fullest. And, you know, no longer doing uh, a polyester, now I'm doing cotton. (laughs) <laughs> so, nice. you know, that's just like one of the many things that Ryan teaches you through osmosis when you're, you're doing a, a project with him is like he has a phenomenal instinct for visual comedy. And he sets it up in the first minute of the movie and it pays off 45 minutes later.
1: Well, my my personal favorite set in the uh, in the film was Millie's, I, I guess, like safe house or armory beautiful layered cave, like location. Uh, take me through how you developed that set.
2: Yeah, that was a tricky one and a fun one. And, a I I think one that as my construction coordinator, Joe Keeney likes to say, um, it was the type of thing where you spend two months trying to figure out how the hell are we going to do this? And then it's like totally obvious. And then you just do it and it executes and it comes down to it like a week of fabrication. Um, I know I wanted a translucent cave. I wanted stalagmite, stalactite, transparent material uh, that would be a nightmare to light with a reflective white floor. Here's the reason. Millie is the secret designer and developer of the game. She needs to have a space that feels totally unique to the game outside. It's not urban. It's not violent. In fact, it's not only gentle, but like organic. It looks like it grew. And that's setting up the city and the finale to, uh, which, you know, I I don't want to give any plot spoilers, but that relates to this conceit, this idea that she is a different type of designer. Um, And uh, so the idea was to build it out of entirely fabric and build a literally white box around it that George Richmond, our DP um, was super clever about uh, lighting. Um, I, uh, without seeing sources, We built a miniature. It's something that I do frequently when I'm experimenting with um, really high concept, uh, illogical materials. Uh, We built it out of tissue paper. We laser cut it so that it was extraordinarily precise. Uh, There were 200 pieces of uh, translucent paper. We assembled them on a little miniature grid about three feet wide. And then we ran a flashlight through it and it was extraordinary. I mean, uh, I think I can actually share the video with you Uh, after this call where you can see the very first proof of concept. We put it in a dark room, we brought Sean and Ryan in and they were like, oh yeah. Um, (laughs) I haven't seen anything like that before. Uh, Then actualizing it was a whole different thing. The Boston temperature when we built it was 40 degrees. When we shot it, it was 80 degrees. It took many different types of fabric to nail something wide enough to have no seams to be translucent. Well, that fabric expanded and contracted with that heat um then it contracted and expanded with the lighting of the uh film equipment we ended up having like a thousand little pieces of fishing line pulling it and pushing it in different directions um and uh it worked out the effect was phenomenal when george lit it up and had um lights moving on a motorized track back and forth it looked like it was breathing it looks like the inside of a whale's belly made out of you know origami
1: Whale's belly made out of origami. (laughs) The the things you expect to hear, you know, when designing films. No, that's that's beautiful. It was super,
2: super fun. And the point was, let's push ourselves. You know, every stash house needs to look different. Let's really challenge ourselves to build things as though we are, you know, teenagers that can do anything in a digital landscape.
1: So speaking of the the most teenage of these of these stash houses uh, is the one for badass, uh, this insane character. Um. Uh, how did you make this over-the-top crazy space? It looks like I-, I couldn't quite tell. Were those TVs on the wall, or was it a fabric piece? I couldn't quite t- make out what that was. I'm glad you couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, that was very much the hope.
2: The uh, you know the idea here is this is a 22-year-old boy's dream fantasy. He lives at home. He's a you know he's a Twizzler-eating gamer <laughs> who doesn't clean his own room. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he can do whatever he wants in the game. So what does a wish fulfillment stash house of extraordinarily over the top weapons and vehicles looks like? Um, so the first thing is scale, scale, scale. It really needed to feel impossibly enormous. Um, it is like in Doctor Who, where you walk into the telephone booth, small thing from the outside, enormous on the um, inside. Um, I think it's called transcendental architecture. Um, you. Uh, we wedged a glass building in VFX uh, that we concept arted into a uh, volcanic rock formation. I wanted it to look like the Iceland cliffs where volcanic rock has dripped down. It literally looks like the building is in tears and it's black and it's molten. And it's like from the inside of the earth and then wedge this really delicate, beautiful glass Danish modern mansion inside it. Impossible. Then when you go into the cliff, it is a set that's literally the size of a football field. Um, It was an engineering marvel. The spiral staircase that he rides the motorcycle down was uh, the most astonishing engineering feat that Dan Sudik, our special effects supervisor, uh, who does all the Marvel movies and is an absolute genius, um, figured out how to stabilize. Uh, It's cantilevered out from 40 tons of steel that's dug into the ground. It took three months of 100 people to facilitate. um, And then it's surrounded by these square panels of plexiglass printed with a um alabaster pattern semi-translucent painted and then backlit so that it looks like a glowing marble grid um yeah and then some of those grids have guns in them and the idea is that it's this impossibly large library that was kind of the idea a glowing library of weapons um obviously it was like such a phenomenal process to build it. It's big enough to house a helicopter, a Humvee, an army tank, a rocket launcher, um, a NASA warhead, and, uh, and then several more vehicles like Lamborghinis and chrome-plated Maseratis. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's just one of those sets that like you walk in and it just kind of takes your breath away and you think, how did we pull this off? And the answer is with an enormous army of Boston craftsmen who were really working at the top of their game that's amazing.
1: Uh, Well, you you did such an amazing job on this movie. I'd love to know what what inspires you in general, what inspires you to tackle a certain project when you directed art directed some of the most amazing music videos over the past decade. I mean, when a project comes your way, what makes you excited about signing on?
2: Great question. I mean, look, I am I spent the first half of my career totally honestly doing um, things entirely based on design. And then The results were not so great. People didn't see them. Uh, They didn't connect with people. I lusted after the sci-fi movie, the fantasy movie, the period film, never paying attention to the quality of the script, the quality of the actors, the relatability of the characters. Um, I made a really conscious choice to do character-driven, left of center material, things that challenged you and that you empathized with Uh, in uh, 2015 uh, not, not long after I'd read the book Room, and uh, then the project came around, and I got to interview for it, and I, it was a very conscious choice to go all in to try and get that job after coming from very stylized uh, commercials, and music videos, and photo shoots, uh, and to switch gears. And the director and I connected, and he um, he blessedly hired me to design it. Obviously, it was a huge challenge. He really believed in me. I didn't have, I don't think, a ton of um high concept artistic but low budget work uh to prove to myself then uh in film certainly did in short form and he we just we connected uh and the reason i got that job i think was partially because i grounded it in existing uh places in the world where you're in confinement from tokyo micro apartments to uh the favelas of brazil to the shanty towns of india how does it look when people are stuck in confined spaces due to either, um, kidnapping, um, the sex trade or, uh, brutal capitalism. Um, and the trick behind that movie like that was, um, they're not in prison visually when they're inside room, because it's told from the perspective of a boy who thinks it's the greatest place on earth. It's, uh, enormously, uh, it, it, one of the lines he has in the movie is, uh, it was, uh, it was as big as it needed to be. It went on until I wanted it to stop. So he is the driving visual force for that. The the irony being when they leave room and they're no longer in prison, everything is cold and expansive and feels like a prison. So that was one of the concepts I pitched to Lenny and that he really loved and maybe felt the same way about. And that's how I approach every movie. Every choice I make since that movie, despite some of them not hitting the mark and some of them hitting the mark, um, and that's very unpredictable whether or not they will, is motivated by character. And if I feel like I understand what's happening inside their head and if I can develop a world outside of it, very low on the list at that point is, is it challenging design? Is it interesting design? If I relate to the character and if it moves me and if I feel like it will inspire future filmmakers or current ones, I I just get so excited. I can't stop thinking about it. I stop sleeping through the night without uh, having ideas for it. And that's why I love what I do. You know, it's, it's, it's not about creating something beautiful that has no depth it's about something having depth and creating something beautiful um, as a result of it
1: ethan uh, i'll let you go it was a genuine pleasure talking with you thank you so much for for the movie uh great work and i can't wait to see what you uh what you do in the future great questions i
2: really enjoyed this and thank you so much
0: hey everyone thank you so much for listening to daniel Howitt's interview with the production designer for free guy ethan tobman here on the next best picture podcast Free High is currently playing in theaters from 20th Century Studios. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.